Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World is now on social media with uplifting slash mind-bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sachs Spiritual okay, Tools. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm, uh, I'm grateful to be on the, the, the mailing list to uh, Samanafshi, which is a, an organization sponsored by the OU, and they send out a, a Hasidic story every week. And and uh, I want to share with you the one that they sent this week. I, I was really moved by it. Um, so it's about the, the Frida Karebi. The Frida Karebi was the previous uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe. And this takes place at a point where he had uh, escaped within the Soviet Union to, um, to Riga in, in Latvia. And a couple of uh, Lubavitcher Hasidim um, from the nearby uh, in, in Odessa, heard that the, the Frida Karebi was there and they wanted to come to him for, for a blessing and, and, and to consult with him um, for Yechidus, uh, just that special one-on-one time with a Rebbe. And so, uh, so they both traveled and, and the, first, uh, the first Chassid came in and the Rebbe greeted him warmly and asked him, he said, tell me, how are things in Odessa? And, and the, uh, the Chassid said, Rebbe, you know something, the, um, the kihila, the, the congregation is, is small, but we have a, a minion every day, and, and there's uh, Torah classes being offered, and certainly there's more work to be done, but there's a, there's a thriving sense um, that, that, that it's growth-oriented, and there's really, there's really what to do. You know, you can really be accomplishing right now. And, and the, the Rebbe was, was so happy to hear this news, and he gave him a bracha, and he gave him a 10-ruble coin um, to show just his, his love and appreciation to the chassid. And the chassid left the meeting with the, with the Rebbe, and the, the other chassid waiting to, to see the Rebbe asked, how did it go? Like, um, what, what, what did the Rebbe say? And he, um, he shared what he had said to the Rebbe, and he told him that he had given him these 10 rubles and everything like that, and the, and the Rebbe called the, the next person in. So the next chassid comes in, and the Rebbe says to him, tell me, what's going on in Odessa? What's going on in, you know, with the community there? And the, the chassid says to the Rebbe, Rebbe, listen, you know, um, it's, 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 it's very nice that, 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 that you got such a, a fine report from, 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 from that other man, but, but I have to tell you the truth. It's the, the kihila is very small. Yeah, it's true. We, 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 we have a minion, but there's, it's very, very hard to be a Hasidic Yid, uh, in Odessa today. And, and it's, it's, you know, there's not much going on at all. And, and, and the, the Rebbe sort of like, you know, thanked him and blessed him and he gave him a, a one ruble coin. And the man was upset and he said, he said, Rebbe, wh- why are you punishing, punishing me? You gave the other man a 10 ruble coin. I told you the truth and, you, and you're giving me a one ruble coin. Wh- why, why, why should I be punished for this? And, and the Rebbe says back to him, he says, he said, 
There are two Odessas. He said, I wanted to know which one you're living in. He said, you don't think I know what's going on in Odessa? I already know what's going on in Odessa. I wanted to know how you were living it. So this is uh, a very, to me, a very, very, very strong story. Um, this idea that there are two Odessas, you know, and I think that this, you know, if you substituted Odessa for, for the town that you're living in or for your home address, you would realize that this story can apply to each one of us. How are we, how are we experiencing it? And, and I want to use that as a way of transitioning into, into the Parsha. There's, there's a lot of very beautiful things happening in the Parsha. And, you know, we left last week with a question and we, we explored it a bit. Just this very heartbreaking aspect to the story of Yosef and his brothers. And, and if you remember, we touched on the very, very last chapter of that story, which most people um, either are not familiar with or they, they, just, uh, they just kind of haven't quite integrated into the, the full account which is obviously the brothers sell Yosef and um, their brother. And, and, then they, and then they reignite, they reunite. Yosef puts them through all these, these, these tests to figure out whether they fully atone for what they had done. And then he reveals himself before them. And, and, and seemingly they make up, and seemingly that's the end of the story. But we know that there's one more chapter to that story, which is that after Yaakov Avinu dies, that, so now this is 17 years after the brothers reconcile, 17 years after Yosef has revealed himself, their father dies, Yaakov Avinu dies, um, on one level, right? Because the Talmud says that he never died. But, um, and the brothers manufacture the following story. The brothers send a message to, to Yosef that says that our father said before he died to tell you, don't take revenge on your brothers. And when Yosef hears this story, Yosef breaks out in tears. He starts crying. And then the brothers offer themselves to be slaves to Yosef. This is 17 years later, 17 years later. And Yosef reassures them. He says, "He says, no, I'm, I forgave you." So, so it's it's to me it's so heartbreaking because because Yosef had forgiven them, but but in their hearts they were not able to accept his forgiveness. And I wanted to suggest that the reason is because the brothers hadn't forgiven themselves. And we talked about different aspects of what that means not to forgive yourself. See, if you, if you don't forgive yourself, you have no room inside of yourself to, to accept the forgiveness of another person. And if you don't forgive yourself, why, why aren't you forgiving yourself? Because it means on some, at least on one level, on a deep, deep, deep level, you think that you're perfect. 
So how could I make a mistake if I'm perfect? Which means it's it's so twisted, it's so twisted, but it means that on some deep level, a person's so filled with arrogance that they can't accept their own imperfection and therefore they can accept another person's forgiveness because meanwhile, they can never forgive themselves for having made a mistake. Because if I'm perfect, how can I make a mistake? So when a person recognizes their own, humanity, their own humanity, their own fallibility on the deepest level, you can make room for, your, for forgiving yourself and receiving another person's forgiveness. Okay. So this we covered last week. But I want to go deeper into this idea. Because the Medrash, the rabbis, are asking the same question. They want to know, how is it in this Parsha, in this week's chapter, that, that, that the brothers still think that Yosef is mad at them. This is 17 years later. How could it be that the brothers still think that Yosef is angry with them? And to the extent that they even offer to be his slaves. Can you imagine? So, so Rabbi Yitzchak in the Medrash provides a, an account, right? It's a Medrash. It's not in the Torah itself. It's not in the Chumash itself, but it's in the Medrash. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal little chapter of Jewish history. You ready for this? Something amazing. And basically, we're still trying to explain the story of two Odessas, right? Which Odessa do you live in? You see, after the brothers buried their father, the Medrash says that Yosef, they're on their way back to Egypt now. You ready for this? Yosef found the pit that the brothers had thrown him into. And they saw Yosef standing over the pit, looking down into the pit. And that's why the brothers thought that Yosef hadn't forgiven them. Now, psychologically, this is this is fascinating. We have to we have to really explain this. And there, there's more to the Medrash, by the way. You see, you know, my father used to. My father was a psychologist. He he had a practice for fifty years, and many times he he told me the history of the Rorschach test. And I'm sure you're all familiar with what a Rorschach test is. Those are the ink blots that um, certain uh, mental health professionals have in their office. And they have index cards with, with different varieties of ink, ink blots on them. And they're, they're random arrangements. Um, and what's the, what, what, what is the nature of the test? What's the history of the test? How, how, how did these ink blots, how were they even made? The idea is that whatever imagery you see in the inkblots is a reflection of what's going on in terms of your, your inner life. Like whatever you're thinking about, you're going to take those feelings and project them on this random design. So there, it's called the Rorschach test, and there actually was a Dr. Rorschach. And my father told me that, you know, back, back in the day, they would have these places called sanitariums 
right? People would recover from all sorts of things, physical illnesses, tuberculosis, mental illnesses. And they would be these sort of like quiet facilities where you could, you know, kind of just uh, come back to your health. And Dr. Rorschach would, would take walks with his patients on the grounds of the sanitarium. And they would look at the clouds and, and, and he would ask his patient, what, what do you see in the clouds? And he noticed that whatever was going on in terms of the inner life, emotionally speaking, of his patients, that's the imagery that they would see in the clouds. In other words, they would project their emotions onto these clouds and, and, and you'd be able to get a, an insight into what's going on inside of them. And he thought this was so helpful, you know, why don't I try to institutionalize this? And, you know, you don't have to go for a walk and look at clouds. I can do this with ink blots. So I want to extend this idea and tell you that all of life is a Rorschach test. And I'll give you like an example, a very simple example. Imagine you're in a coffee shop or in a restaurant or something like this, and there's someone sitting across from you, and all of a sudden they're looking in your direction and they break out laughing. Now, if you feel good about yourself, you'll see that person laughing in your direction and you'll go, oh, they must have thought of something funny. But if you feel bad about yourself, you'll be like, wow, that person is just laughing at me. They're just staring at me and laughing at me. I'm like nothing. Do you see how life is a Rorschach test? <laughs> How you feel about yourself is what you will see around you. And you will provide a narrative to other people's reactions around you that may have 0% to do with you. 0%. It's just a reflection of how you feel about yourself. I'll give you another example. Imagine I'm running to catch a bus. And I miss the bus. And I'm like, of course the bus didn't wait for me. I'm such a loser. Why should the bus wait for me? And, and I'm always late and everything is always going wrong and I can't do anything right. Okay, that's one way to experience missing the bus. Here's another way experiencing missing a bus. Oh, you know something? I rushed out of my house this morning. I didn't have a chance to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> I can get a cup of coffee now. <laughs> and you know something? I had to do an email and I had to check one more thing. At least I have like five minutes of, of peace, of menucha, right? I have a little peace right now. I can go, I can make a call, I can sit down, I can catch my breath, get my thoughts together. There's another bus on the way. So in in one, in the first version... All of life is conspiring against you, and you're just a victim, right? In the other version, it's like, you know, what does it have to do with me? I have an opportunity right now. 
It's, uh, I, I once learned this, one of those famous things, you're probably familiar with it, that apparently in Chinese, the same word for crisis is the same word for opportunity. So it's just, you know, I don't know much about Wall Street or the stock market or things like that, but, but, but I can tell you that this is kind of like just uh, investing 101, that when a stock goes really way down, the real investors see that as a buying opportunity. They say that that stock is on sale right now. That's the language that they use. So it's just what kind of eyes are you looking at the world with? So let's go back to this medrash. Let's try to figure out what's going on with Yosef and his brothers, right? Because he forgave them with every, every fiber of his being, he forgave them. And 17 years later, they're making up stories about how their father instructed him to forgive them and they're willing to be his slaves. I mean, they're really racked with guilt. They're racked with guilt. There's no, there's no question about it. So the Medrash, again, the, the Medrash is, is very like curious about why the brothers are going through this, if Yosef clearly forgave them. So they tell us this story, which is an amazing story, which is that on the way back from burying Yaakov, Yosef is looking into the pit where the brothers threw him, where he was sold into slavery from, this pit. So if you have a guilty conscience and you see your brother looking down into the pit, that you threw him into, right? Or you were partners of throwing him into. What are you thinking? Well, if I have a guilty conscience, here's what I'm thinking. Wow, he is just, he is just remembering all of the horrible stuff that he went through and that we put him through. He's just reliving it all right now. And boy, he's going to really want to get revenge on us. If I have a guilty conscience, that's what I'm thinking. So now you have to hear part two. If, if, by the way, if that were the end of the teaching, I don't think I would have shared it with you. The reason why I'm sharing it with you is because of this next part. Rabbi Yitzchak says, he was looking into the pit, l'shem shemayim, for the sake of heaven. What does that mean? Well, you know, any of you who have an art scroll sitter, art scroll prayer book, which I imagine all of you have, you know, um, if you don't, you should buy one. It's just filled with all sorts of treasures. One of the treasure sections is pages of blessings, wonder blessings that you say, right? The blessing over lightning, the blessing over rainbows, the blessing over midgets, the blessing over a king, the blessing over beautiful women, the blessing over Torah scholars, the blessing if you see 600,000 Jews in one place at one time. By the way, that's one of the most intense blessings. You know what that blessing is? Blessed are you, Hashem, king of the world. You ready for this? Knower of secrets. That's the blessing that you make over 600,000 Jews gathered in one spot. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, 
believe it or not, there is a blessing that you make if you return back to a place where you were miraculously saved from. Like if, God forbid, you were, God forbid, if someone was in a car accident or something like this, and you go back to that place, there is a blessing that you make thanking God again for having saved your life. In fact, there's even a blessing where if one of your ancestors were saved, that you make a a full-on blessing thanking God for saving your ancestors. So if any of you are survivors or children of survivors of the Holocaust, and you ever go to, um, you know, Poland or one of these places, there is a full-on blessing with Hashem's name that you can say at, at this site. So, so Rabbi Yitzchak says that Yosef looked into the pit because he wanted to make this blessing. <laughs> he wanted to thank God for saving his life. And meanwhile, the brothers are looking at it. And what did we say? Life is a Rorschach test. The brothers are going to see what they are experiencing emotionally. Here is Yosef standing over the pit, finding an opportunity to give thanks to God for living, for being alive still, for surviving. And the brothers are seeing something completely the opposite. The brothers are seeing someone plotting revenge on them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What did the Lubavitcher Rebbe say? I wanted to know which Odessa you're living in. I know what's going on in Odessa. So here is the part that that everyone misses. Here's the part that everyone misses. You ready? You get to decide which Odessa you want to live in. (laughs) You get to decide. It's totally up to you. You get to choose. You have that power. And it's that that one piece of information makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference whether you want life to live you or whether you want to live life. All of the difference in the world. People don't realize they have that power because they think, here's what they think. Here's what they think. They think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm driving a, um, you know, a, you know, a, a, a Toyota that's that's broken down from 1991. And you're telling me whether I get to decide whether that's a Ferrari or not? This is what people think. This is what people think. And they say, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a fool. I'm not living in some fantasy world. I know that this is not a Ferrari. And so they, they allow themselves to, to remain stuck in, in, 
in this sort of very negative understanding of their own circumstances. As opposed to, you know what? It's not a golden chariot, but it sure gets me to work. (laughs) Here's what I know. Here's what I know. I do not have to walk 11 miles every morning because I have this. (laughs) You know? You know, there's no models like stopping at a stoplight and like lowering their window and like, you know, putting on lipstick and blowing me kisses for my 1991 broken down Toyota. (laughs) But guess what? It sure saves me an 11 mile walk to work and back every day. That's a person's choice. Whatever you have, you're that much more ahead of the game. Or to put it another way, and again, these words are so simple, they're so deceptively simple that, that they fly in one year and they fly out the other. But, it, but I'm telling you, like, hold on to what you're about to hear. Hold on with both hands to what you're about to hear, okay? You can see life through what you have, or you can see life through what you're missing. Totally up to you. It's totally up to you. You know, let's just take one moment, just take one moment for those of us, and I think most of us fall into this category, thank God, for those of us who have a sense of smell and a sense of taste, a lot of people are losing their sense of smell and their sense of taste right now. And they don't know when they're going to get it back. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to just go through normal life of like just eating things and not tasting them, not smelling them. Just even to have a, a sense of taste and a sense of smell is awesome. It's awesome. And so, and so the brothers looked at Yosef and they didn't realize that he was just finding out another opportunity to thank God. And so, so, so let's use that power. You know, I think it's, 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 uh, telling, you know, the Torah is working on so many different levels. And I do think that it's telling that, that Sefer Breshis, right? The book of, the book of Genesis, more or less ends with this account with the brothers. What is Breshis? Breshis is about creation. And, 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 and God has made us partners with creating the world and we're going to we're going to go deeper into that in a moment but but here you see another dimension to how much we are participants in that act of creation we get to choose the world that we want to live in right is it the odessa that's sort of like there's so many opportunities to reach more people or is it like, wow, it's this like really tiny community that's like, wow, like it's really hard to be part of. 
Okay. So I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper into this idea. And and I want to I want to raise a question. I've never really heard this question asked and I haven't heard this answer before, so uh it's something that came to me in 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 learning the Torah. I want to share it with you. One of the beautiful things that you see in this last chapter of of Breshis, of Genesis, um, before Yaakov Avinu leaves this world, is that he he blesses he blesses his children. And one of the themes of of blessing that you see um, for the various tribes is that he compares them to animals. And if you think about it, it's it's actually really surprising. And because from a tourist perspective, we really don't want to be like animals. <laughs> and let me tell you how 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 much we don't want to be like animals, okay? There's a medrash, like shocking, heartbreaking, you know? It's like it's like that Adam Arishon, the first person that when after the eating of the uh, the tree of knowledge, when 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 he found out that um, that he was going to have to eat on all fours, like an animal, when he found that out, he was so beside himself that 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 he should have to get on his hands and knees and eat like an animal that he took upon himself all of the rigors of making a living, which, which we know are like beyond exhausting and, and life-crushing to, to make a parnosa, to make a living. He took all those upon himself so that he should be able to eat upright, not like an animal. Can you imagine the, 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 just the existential importance that Adam Arishon, the first person, had in his mind that the, the how essential it was to, to distinguish the way he ate and the way an animal ate, that that difference must be maintained, that that's, that's so central to our dignity as human beings. Okay, so so... So from that perspective, we, we certainly don't want to be like animals, right? So with that in mind, let's revisit the question. How could it be that Yaakov Avinu is blessing the tribes and he's comparing them to animals? And just to give you an example, um, Binyamin, right? Benjamin, the, 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 the youngest child, he compares to a wolf. Yehuda, he compares to a lion. Naphtali, he compares to a deer. Don, he compares to a snake, a viper. Right? Yosef is compared to a, either it's an ox or a bull. So you have all of these, all of these different animals. Um, uh, and also to a donkey. Right? That's um, Yisachar is compared to a donkey. So, so, very curious. So, what I would, 
What I would like to suggest is, is the following answer. And you, you have to know about the nature of how God constructed our souls um, to, to appreciate this answer, okay? So there's two major um, components to our soul, two, two major categories that our soul falls into. And what I'm telling you right now is the, the language of Rav Chaim Vital, and he, of course, was the top student of the Ari, okay? And what Rav, um, what, uh, Rav Chaim Vital said is that the soul is separated into two parts. One is called the Nefesh Behema, which is, the, what, what is translated as the animal soul or the animalistic soul. And then you have the Nefesh Sichli, like um, Seichel means intelligence. So the Nefesh Sichli means the more divine aspect to the soul. And it's one spectrum. So it, it, it starts off on this very sort of primal, uh, animalistic level, and then it, as it sort, of, it sort of blossoms to this more godly spiritual aspect the different sort of sides of the sex spectrum of the same soul. So what is this nefesh behema? So, so this would correlate, there are five aspects to the soul. The, the core, the base aspect of the soul is called the nefesh, right? You have the nefesh, the ruach, the neshama, the chay, and the, and the yechida. Those are the five aspects. But the nefesh, they say, is responsible for um, pumping the blood, um, Keeping the organs going, right? Um, it's the it's the uh, uh, primal life force of an individual. Meaning to say, eating, procreating, survival. That's the that's the job of the nefesh. That's what it's most sort of preoccupied with. Um, and then you've got the higher aspects of the soul, which are you know once you're surviving, you have to make sure that you. You're sort of like, you know, in touch with the greater reality of God's existence and, and appreciating and thanking and, and you know, evolving and, and, and all these like very, very central things um, that we're here in the world to do. Okay. So, again, let's return back to the question. We don't want to be like animals. So, Yaakov Avinu is blessing us and he's comparing us to animals. So, what's going on? What is going on? So, what is the nature of blessing? That's really the question. What does it mean to bless? So, the Maharal um, shows you numerically uh, something very cool about blessing. So, blessing, the root of the word blessing is barach, base, resh, chaf. And if you look numerically, base is the number two, chaf is the number 20, and resh is the number 200. So the root of the word in Hebrew for blessing is 222. Isn't that interesting? 222. 222. So why is that really the number for blessing? So someone no less than the Maharal, who's one of our absolute greatest, greatest, greatest thinkers. 
says that the nature of blessing is to increase. So isn't that interesting? That the nature of blessing is to increase and the number for blessing is two, two, two. In other words, everything is doubling. There's, there's more, there's more, there's more. Okay. Or there's growth, there's growth, there's evolution, right? Expansion. That's, that's blessing. So, so the idea is, is, is like this. You know, I've, I've shared this with you before, but I, I think it's like one of these like very core, uh, core visuals that I want everyone to have about themselves in the world, because I, I really think that this is the truth. Um, I, I like to call it my, my, my Ikea theory of life. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so it's the Ikea theory of life. You know, when you go to Ikea and they send you home with one of these, uh, these cardboard boxes, and all the ingredients are in the box. And, 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 and it's up to you to put it all together, right? You, you've got the ingredients and you've got your set of instructions. That's the Torah, by the way. And, and now you, you follow the set of instructions and you, and you, and you put together the thing. And, and I, I, I believe that's this world and I believe that's each of our lives. Each one of us is born not perfect, far from it. Each one of us is born as a series of things that has to be assembled and optimized. And we can't do it on our own. We need a set of instructions. Whenever I tell you this, I always share with you this this true unfortunate story. I bought the simplest bookcase in the world. It was one rectangle. (laughs) That was it. And I said to myself, you know, I'm I'm smart enough not to have to actually follow the instructions to put together a rectangle with a couple of shelves. I can do this. And in a short period of time, I assembled it. And I kid you not, within minutes, it imploded on itself and physically broke. It didn't go back to the way it was originally. It cracked in half. And it's like, it was such a humbling experience. It's like, dude, follow the instructions. <laughs> Anyone who thinks that he can get through this life without following a set of instructions, you're kidding yourself. You're deluding yourself. You know? And you might even assemble something that looks pretty, kind of like, hey, that looks pretty good. See how long it lasts. Just see how long it lasts. So, so this is the Ikea theory. And now let's revisit our question. Why is Yaakov Avinu blessing us like animals? And I think now we have the information to put all the pieces together. Yaakov Avinu is saying you have this core nefesh behema. There's a part of you that's like a wolf, and you. There's a part of you that's like a donkey, and you. There's a part of you that's like a snake, and you. There's a part of you that's like a lion. You're a core, unbridled self. Take it and grow it 
with blessing. Blessing means to expand, to increase. I'm going to give you this blessing for you to take this core aspect of yourself and to build on it and to complete it and to transform it from the nefesh behema to the nefesh sikhli, from this animalistic spiritual aspect to this refined godly aspect. And what better way is there to end Sefer Breshis with this transformation? Because this is the story of our lives to this day. This is the story of, this, of the world to this day. To take this world that God never finished and created us to be partners with him to complete. Remember, each person is a miniature of the heavens and the earth. You have a soul, that's the heavens. You have a body, that's the earth. Each person is a miniature of the universe. God says, complete yourself, complete yourself, and you'll you'll finish the world. All of us working together. You see, let's go back to this idea that life is a Rorschach test. I'm telling you, I promise you, and I I wouldn't even hazard to guess what percentage of the world's population fall into what I'm about to describe to you. I would guess the overwhelming majority. They're living in the world. They're living in this world, and they look around them, and they say, God finished this world. This is all there is. And you know what? And I'm also a complete product. Yeah, maybe I could learn French. (laughs) Maybe I could know a little bit more about art. But I'm who I am, and the world is what it is, and man, I can't think of a faster road to drug addiction. <laughs> it's like, what am, I suppo- what am I supposed to do? The world's done. I'm who I am. I just, man, I just got to fill my days, and I'm running out of websites. <laughs> I'm not going to fill my time. Dying here. Dying. This is most people. This is the world that they see around them. This is the world. This is the Odessa that they're inhabiting. And it's not even the truth. If it were the truth, that would be one thing. And then you'd have to say, well, it's the truth, but let's try to be a little optimistic. But it's not even the truth. The truth is that the world is incomplete and that we're incomplete. And that to our last breath, there's work to do. And that so much of the core message is transforming ourselves. And that's why it's such a beautiful, evocative way for Hashem himself to be ending Sefer Breshis, the book of creation, is this transformation this Ikea model, taking this, these base aspects of ourselves and like turning it into something like glorious. You know, it, it deserves to, to, to be studied at, 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 at greater length. But, but let me just introduce the idea to you. Why different animals? Why different animals? 
And, and, and I think that there's a, a strong reminder that we should just go over because it's, it's so important for the healing of the world and for each of us being better individuals. Remember, when they sold Yosef, the Zohar says that we're still trying to repair the world from, 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 the, from the hatred for no reason that got into our bones. You know, I'll tell you a story. It's a, it's a personal story. I'm sharing something very personal with you right now. But I guess, how, do, how are we going to learn? How are we going to grow, right, if we don't share? Remember, when the brothers sold Yosef, it said hatred got into their bones that we're still trying to extract to this day. You know, it's the end of the year. I don't know if you're on a ton of mailing lists from different organizations. I am. You probably are too. And everyone is asking for money. So there was, and nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's our privilege to be able to give. So there was one organization of many that contacted me and was asking for a contribution. And I like this organization, and I wanted to give them money. And I thought to myself, I'll give, but I'll give later. It was just almost like an instinctual thing, like, ah, I'll give later. That night, um, I'll share something with you. Uh, Rabbi Vigdor Miller has certain principles that he says everyone should live by, and there's a certain checklist that every Everyone should go through this checklist every day. And, and one of the things that he recommends is that at a certain point during the day, and I think before you go to bed is a good time to do this, you sit on the floor of your room, and at least for a few moments you mourn the Beis HaMikdash, the destruction of the Holy Temple. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing to do. Really, it's, um, there's a formal service called Tikkun Chatzot, where people rise up in the, the middle of the night and they, and they say a fairly long prayers. But th- this is a very advanced uh, form of service. And if you, you know, before you go to bed, if you can sit on the floor or sometime during the day, if you can sit on the floor and say, you know, we're in exile, basically. It's a, it's a good thing to do. I, I, I highly recommend it. Anyway, so I got that email and I said to myself, yeah, I'm going to give, I'm going to give, but not now, not now. Just it was almost like an instinctual thing, not now. Anyway, before I went to bed that night, I sat on the floor and I thought, you know, we're in exile. The base of Migdash isn't rebuilt. And, um, and then for some reason, I thought of that donation and I, I asked myself, why didn't you give? You wanted to give. Why didn't you give? And then an answer came up inside me that was shocking. It was because of sinas chinam, because of causeless hatred. That person's organization is doing way more than you're doing. And you hate them for no reason because of that. And I jumped to my feet and I ran to my computer and I gave them money that second. 
It was a shocking moment for me. It was shocking. It was shocking. But it shows you how deep causeless hatred is. I like this organization. I want them to succeed. But beyond my actual das, beyond my conscious thinking, there was a part of me that's going, ah, you're doing better than me, I hate you. I, I was almost sick, sick about myself. This is, this is how, this is how um, subtle causeless hatred is. This is why it's 2,000 years and we haven't uprooted it from our bones yet. And believe me, the only way that we're going to be able to uproot this is if we root for each other. If we actually are, are actively rooting for each other's success. It's not enough just to just say, oh, he's a ni- nice enough guy, whatever. I hope he's okay. Unless we're actually rooting for another person's success, you will not become immune. You will not shield yourself against causeless hatred. And so, so one of the core things that we have to recognize as we end Sefer Breshis is the idea that there are different tribes, meaning to say, and I learned this from Rabbi Cordoza, there are different personality traits, different personality traits in this world. And you know, so many of us, it's like we like a piece of music, and if someone doesn't like the same piece of music as much as we do, we hate them for it. <laughs> it's like, who are you not to like this music as much as I do? Or if there's a book or a, or a movie, who are you not to like that TV show as much as I did? And the truth is, and it's like my, my dad, Oliver Shalom, used to say, that's why they have menus in restaurants, because people like different things. And until we recognize the fact that not everyone's going to like everything as much as you do, and people are going to like things that you don't like, and that's okay. That's okay. And there are different animalistic natures to different personality types. This one's a wolf. This one's a lion. This one's a snake. That's okay. And each one represents a different quality that can be, and this is a psychological term, that can be sublimated. What does it mean to sublimate? It means to take something negative and to raise it up and to make it positive. And for you people who are lovers of words out there, I I just learned this and it's so cool. Sublimate, which is to make something negative, a negative trait, something positive, Sublimate comes from the word, you ready? Sublime, to make sublime, right? And that, one of the great words, by the way, sublime, I mean. So, 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 yeah, if, you know what, if you, if you're like an ox, like stubborn like an ox, but there's a very great trait to being stubborn like an ox, you know what that is? You'll never leave God's side. 
right? You might annoy the heck out of a lot of people, <laughs> but you'll never leave God's side. So you just take that, you take that aspect, right? You take that aspect. You know, so you say, well, a snake, what's good about a snake? Well, s- snakes are really good. They're, they're very tricky. So, you know, you out-trick your own Yetzirah. You know, here's a great tool for tricking your Yetzirah. You ready? Your Yetzirah says, you know what? Let's go to McDonald's. And you know what you say? Mm, maybe in five minutes. <laughs> maybe tomorrow. <laughs> you didn't say no. Now it's got, uh, it's got nothing to hold on to. <laughs> And the next day it says, hey, how about that cheeseburger? You go, maybe later on this afternoon. (laughs) Right? You use that own snakeliness against itself. So there's a way to sublimate all of these different negative traits that we have and to turn them into something positive. And when we do, we grow, and that's the nature of blessing. And we're all here to grow. And this is a world of growth, because the world isn't finished, because each of us individually aren't finished yet. And that's, and that's, that's the Odessa that all of us are living in. And we get to decide. We get to decide. And, and there is plenty to do. There's plenty to do, thank God. And, um, okay, we'll, we'll end here. What follows now no, are some questions I, and answers. I, I really love that. I, I, I think that's great. I mean, it's, it's th- this idea that um, life is an adventure. And, you know, you can miss the bus. And to sort of like be in, in participating in life that... You know that that every moment a new chapter is is being written and being you know told, and it's sort of like wow, like like I I didn't know the story could go in this direction. I thought there were only two versions of the story: making the bus or not making the bus, right? But but what happens after I don't make the bus? <laughs> like, or what happens after I go one stop or two stops past my my normal uh, destination? Like. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a wonderful way to go through life and, and, and a very true way of going through life, you know? I really do. That's what you taught us, that we're not in control. And my mantra, every time if I miss the bus or there's something happening, my, my, what I say a hundred times a day because God intervenes is a hashbacha pratis. It's, it's divine intervention. That's my mantra. Divine intervention. It, yeah. It's God's way of, of, of sending me signs, of teaching me a lesson, or there's something um, that, that I could look forward to that is completely out of my control. That is a, a divine intervention. I'm with you. I, I learned something from a friend of mine that I think you'd appreciate. So after I say Moza'ani, 
um, I say, good morning, God surprise me. And it really sets a different tone for my day. Say, you say, so, good, good morning, you say, good morning, God surprise me? Surprise me. Yeah. You yeah. Morning routine. I'll say modani, and, and then I'll say again, "Good morning, God. Yeah. Surprise me. What do you, you know, have in store?" I, I'll tell you something that um, when um, when Reb Shlomo married my wife and I, one of the blessings that he gave us is he said you should always you should never stop surprising each other, mm. and it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing because when um, when Adam and Chava, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, they brought death into the world. And there's this certain quality of quote-unquote knowing that brings death into the world, meaning to say, if I know you so well, then there's no, there's no life left to the relationship because I already know what you're going to say and I already know what you're going to do. And that's a, that's a certain death that enters into the relationship. And some people have that between themselves and God. I already know what this day is going to be. Right, like like Rabbi uh, Label Label Eager um, uh, uh, defined. Actually, it's on this week's parsha. Defined exile. What's the nature of exile? You ready for this? Very very classic classic piece of Torah. What's exile? Because yesterday was like yesterday, and and because today was like yesterday, so tomorrow is also going to be like yesterday. That's exile. Let me say it again. Because yesterday was like yesterday, and like because today was like yesterday, therefore tomorrow is going to be like yesterday. And that is exile. Because the truth is, is that reality is dynamic. And it's constantly changing. And, and you know, it's up to you whether you want to be stuck or not, but you're not stuck. If you want to live as though you're stuck, you, that's, God gives you that ability. But you're not stuck. And the world itself is, is thoroughly dynamic. So, so, so when you say, God surprised me, what you're doing is you're getting through, you're getting past that whole tree of knowledge kind of death relationship with with God and with your own life and with other individuals and you allow yourself this capacity to 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 be in sync with this ever changing reality that's going on around you. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear him.